funny thing happened to me this morning as I went to the pulpit. <clears throat> and I, um, the prayer in my mind was, oh, Lord, don't let me be boring. <laughs> well, or too long. <laughs> oh, God, give us such an awareness of ourselves that we might know how to be the servants of others. Take our minds and think for them, our hands and work through them, and center our hearts in your abiding love. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. When I was preparing for this sermon, I came across an old article from the Globe and Mail that stirred old memories. It said, Calgary is like a pocket of Americana. There's no self-doubt and in introspection that seems rampant in other parts of the country. Calgarians don't have time for that. We are a can-do society and seemingly boundless energy. Well, when I arrived in Calgary in the fall of 1977, I keep getting that mixed up because I'm in the process of denial of my age. <laughs> well, I was struck by the presence of this energy, and I have watched it mature over the years. Calgary loves to solve problems and has a great expertise in doing it. It's often generous, highly motivated, and given to entrepreneurial volunteerism. I have found it a joy to participate in the energetic partnerships this city seems so easily to form. Even though our post-COVID world has taken the bloom off our rose. I love positive can-do attitudes that still burn deeply before them, below the surface. Although it is now tempered, we have seen its shadow, and we must not lose our fundamental can-do. A can-do attitude, you see, is open to new adaptations and approaches in these unsettled times. What perplexes me, and I'm not speaking about Christ Church right now, but what perplexes me is that I've often experienced many churches as lacking in this energy. You know, sometimes the most intelligent people with high position leave all that outside the door of the vestibule. Our faith tradition, on the other hand, invites us to see our life from a transcendent perspective that brings wisdom and spirit to what we do and who we are as creatures of the human city. While we all have the right words in our communal vocabulary, we often find ourselves bogged down in trying to solve problems that resist solutions. 
as we slog our way in the complexity, we are troubled by an irrepressible sense that we should be about something more. But we seem to have lost the living connection with more that we should be about. While we look to the city and rejoice in its energy, we also know deep down that the city needs to be about more than discretionary income and dogma of infinite growth. <coughs> to sustain our hope, our generosity of spirit, we need to draw from the deep wells of life's mysterious source. T.S. Eliot's probing question points us to such a source. He said, where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? More recently, Cynthia Bourgeois commented, there seems to be no keeper of wisdom anymore. The chair is vacant and the world is bleeding for it. Ours, as everyone knows, is a problem-centered age. The ascendance of technical reason and expensive wisdom has been underway for centuries. When I entered theological school many years ago, modern tools of critical, historical, and scientific analysis increasingly were being used in the curriculum, and thank God for it. Modern developments in historical criticism as well as the physical and behavioral sciences have to be addressed if we are to avoid being declared an anachronism. Yet, deep in my heart, I know that these things must not smother the other more fundamental dimension of our assignment as servants of God. Today's scene of transfiguration comes at the end of the season whose focus has been the mysterious self-disclosing presence of the beyond in our midst. Shepherds on the hillside in the midst of their routine labor see the heavens open around them. Astrologers charting the heavens suddenly encounter a supernova that drives them and propels them on a journey. Two faithful servants of the temple's ancient routines find the fulfillment of their deepest longing in the presentation of a young child, Jesus. At the wedding feast, the water of earthen vessels becomes transformed in the intoxicating wine of the Spirit. In the urban pathways of pain and suffering, God's presence as healing touch and compassionate understanding breaks the bonds of disease and spiritual death. Now today, on the mountaintop of prayer, God's illuminating presence transforms the sight of those who were with Jesus, who looked upon him but never have seen their radiance, the radiance of his essential being. They expected him, you see, to be the messianic problem solver of their national condition. Now, 
Jesus is revealed as a blinding, mysterious presence through whom their hearts will be illuminated and their minds transfigured. How many times have we looked at our readers and seen only what we wanted to see, missing the essence of who they are? When the church calls forth leaders, it ordains them ministers and priests. The term minister embodies the countless problem-solving activities that fall to the profession. There are, many, there are ministries of scholarship, counseling, social service, and community transformation. But these all receive their ground and life from the other side of this two-sided vocation, one side of the practical side, but the other side is a service that goes beyond problems to the invocation, adoration, and stewardship of mystery. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he didn't just come down and stone tablets. The skin of his face shone. Paul uses the image of the glory of God being reflected in a mirror. Moses shone like a reflected mirror bathed in light. It was not his light, but the light of the divine presence reflecting on the polished surface of his soul. The covenant he delivered was not a legalistic punitive document, although in the hands of him wise it would soon become that. The law was to be seen with the eye of the heart. That is, that might illuminate the peace God wills for all who in their hearts embrace the covenant way. Now for those who follow the way, which is another term for law, and do not make it a sacred object of belief, the law becomes their constitution of freedom and a framework of practical relational wisdom. The day of readings proclaim the primacy of mystery and the centrality of wisdom that flows from this exploration. Harold Schiller was Professor Emeritus and Dean of the Graduate School at Penn State University when he published a book entitled The New Consciousness in Science and Religion. He said, Science has changed radically in the 20th century, and in such a way that it can now be said that mystery is discernible through its eyes. This scene is the liberation of the true self. Our constituent powers, reason, feeling, will, now become grounded in the wise perceptions of the liberated heart. Our problem-solving faculties are then centered in the knowledge of that mystery in which all problems are embedded. As faithful people, we remain in the city to provide sanctuaries of contemplation, schools of wisdom, 
centers of human creativity, communities of collaborative healing, and social transformation. The vision of the mountain always leads us into the center of the human city. Its streets cry out for wisdom. Its intersections long for healing encounter with the sacred. And its dark recesses reach out for the illumination of God's mysterious presence. O oh, sons and daughters, remember and never forget. You know the world that is hidden, and you have become its treasure. You are the home of its secret, for to you is entrusted the mystery of death and resurrection. Through wisdom's food and drink, you taste the knowledge of the kingdom, which is without beginning or end. I'm content with prayer by Lindbaugh.